You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hello, good morning, Midtown. Great to see you guys. Great to worship together uh, this morning. I see a lot of new faces out there, so uh, if you're visiting to Mid- Midtown or it's your first time here, really want to welcome you. We'd love to meet you afterward. If you have a chance, you could fill out that connection card and we'd get back in touch with you, tell you more about the church, and honestly, even tell you about other good churches. If Midtown's not the place for you, we'd love to tell you about other great churches in Austin as well. Uh, my name is Justin Christopher, uh, one of the associate pastors here at Midtown, um, and we, I'm really excited that we're doing this series on Teach Us to Pray, and more excited that we're in this 33 days of prayer together. So are you guys excited about that? We're in day number five right now, and we had what I thought was really one of my favorite events that we've ever had at Midtown. Um, on Wednesday, we had this concert of prayer, and about 70 of us, I think we might have some pictures. Yep, there we are in Hyde Park uh, Presbyterian Church, praying and seeking God together. How many of you guys were there? Did you all have a good time? It's so fun as a family just to pray into the vision of our church and to ask God to do really big things through us in this season. And so I loved it, and I thought it was probably one of my favorite things that we've done. So I would encourage you, it's not too late to get involved, so if you maybe haven't, didn't get on, on the front, we've got this prayer guide here, we've got some that are in the back, it's got 33 days, it just gives you kind of a scripture, and then a pretty simple, prayer, simple way to pray a prayer over yourself, and a way to pray a prayer over Midtown, and then one, one thing that we're really asking everyone to do during these days is to think about one personal prayer, something that you're going to pray for yourself every day and during these 33 days. And then additionally, think about one prayer for Midtown. What's something big that you'd like to see God do through our church and to pray that every day for these 33 days? So it's not too late. It's day five. You can jump in, you can catch up, or you can start on day six tomorrow if you want, right? One other thing I'll mention that's been real fun is we're, we're posting videos. So each day, there's a video on our Facebook page, or if you go to our website, it can link you to YouTube. And we've got one of the people from our church leading you through that day's prayer, and then they actually share what their 33-day prayer is, what they're praying every single day for Midtown. So it's a great way for us to kind of build some community, hear what other people are praying for our church. Stuff like that is contagious. And so I hope that you participate with us. Grab a book on the, in the back if you haven't yet. So we're titling the series, Teach Us to Pray, right? Don't you love that title? Because it's something that the, the disciples actually came to Jesus and said, hey, will you teach us to pray? That's in Luke 11, 1. I don't know about you, but like, this is one of the rare times in Scripture where, where he actually, the disciples actually go to him and they ask, like, teach us something. If it was me, I think I'd have been like, uh, teach me that walk on water thing. Like, that's, that's, that would be pretty awesome. Or like that water to wine, that, that would be really cool too. That could be pretty useful. But here they come to him and they say, teach us to pray. And one thing I love is this is in Luke 11 when they say this, but if you were actually to track the life of Jesus leading up to Luke 11, you see that Jesus is just moving from place of prayer I jokingly said like a good subtitle to the book of Luke would be things that Jesus did after he was interrupted praying because you just see him praying and the disciples come and interrupt him and then he goes out and does this miraculous stuff and then he sneaks away to pray again. And they were so mesmerized and fascinated by Jesus' prayer life that they would come to him and say, hey, this is really what we want to learn from you. We want to learn how to connect with God like you connect with the Father. And I don't know about you, but I found that super encouraging because here were these guys that were following Jesus, yet they admitted their weakness in prayer. How many of you feel like prayer is a weakness? It's probably going to be most of us, right? Because we all think, well, we all would say that we don't pray enough. But even more than enough, we probably, a lot of us say, well, I don't think that I pray very well. And so I find a real encouragement that these guys that were following Jesus for this long, like they came to him and said, hey, we need help in this. 
And so we're all in the same boat. And so we're hoping that this series will help us just take some next steps and learn, learn some new things about how to pray. I'm going to take a guess that one of the main reasons why we struggle in prayer, one of the reasons maybe why we don't pray enough or pray as well, one of the main reasons is that we don't really necessarily believe that it works. We don't necessarily believe that God actually hears our prayers or that God really does something when we pray. Could, could you admit that that sometimes creeps into your thought, like that's, that's a battle that we, that we have when it comes to prayer? Have you ever thought things like, well, God's just going to do what he wants to do anyway, right? Like, I admit that I think that sometimes, or, you know, you, you get that parking spot and you're like, did that really happen because I prayed, <laughs> or is that just like a coincidence? UT students, you know what a parking spot is, a miracle is, right? <laughs> or maybe you think, uh, why would God involve a little sinful person like me in Austin, Texas, in his affairs of the world? Like, really, I can pray for something, and this little bitty person like me can pray, and something can be different in the world? Or the real question I think we all ask is, do prayers really make a difference? So if you can relate to some of that, I think that uh, we could all relate to some of that. What I hope to address today is really that question. Like, do our prayers, are they, I'll say the word, effectual? Are our prayers effectual? Some of you all may have uh, read the Screwtape Letters. It's a great book by C.S. Lewis where he's writing about, from the standpoint of the devil, talking to his demons about strategies to deceive and hurt the people of God. And when he's talking one on prayer, he says this, the, the, the chief uh, de- devil's talking to his demons now, and he says, worry him with a haunting suspicion that the practice is absurd and can have no objective result. Don't forget to use the quote, heads I win and tails I lose argument. If the thing he prays for doesn't happen, then it's one more proof that petitionary prayer doesn't work. If it does happen, he will, of course, be able to point to some physical causes which led up to it and therefore it would have happened anyway. And thus, answered prayer becomes just as good a proof as unanswered prayer that prayers are ineffective. Pretty sneaky tactic, right? I'm sure that's what happens to us. And so what I want to do today is really try my hardest to make the point that prayers really do work. I was uh, at a uh, doctor's appointment about a year ago, and they noticed like a little heart murmur. And I thought, oh, someone's noticed that once before, but this time I went to get it checked out, and they had to do some more extensive tests and had this kind of imaging done. And they basically came back and said, like, you've got, a, you've got a part of your heart that's too thick, and this could be like a sign of future heart failure. The joke on our staff as we would pray for it every week was that I, I had a hard heart. So I, I, I literally did. I had a thick heart, so they thought. But meanwhile, we're going through all this testing, and I'm praying and praying, and we're just asking that this wouldn't be the case. And I keep going through all these steps to ultimately they have to do like a, a complete like MRI where they like pumps like this metallic stuff into your blood to be able to really see your heart. And then I go back to what would be the final, final the diagnosis and the doctor says, it was a false read. All these other tests were wrong. This is the most clear picture. Everything was wrong. So did God heal me? Did I really have a thick heart? Now I don't. I do have a hard heart, but, <laughs> but what happened? Which was it? You know, we can get caught, like C.S. Lewis perfectly described, in this, this little cycle of, well, did God really answer my prayer? Would this have happened otherwise? Did I really have a thickened heart, or did I? And then God healed it, and I don't have it anymore. That's what I'd like to address today and talk specifically about that our, the big idea is that our prayers are effectual. I'll say one more thing. Um, I'll get to that one more thing in a second. So the aim really is to stir up faith that prayer is actually effectual. My, my hope is to, to help us believe that God wants us to partner with Him 
And it's really one of the ways that God best does His work as He partners with humans in prayer is how we partner with God to accomplish the things that He wants to do in your life, in others' lives, in the lives of people around the world. And more than that, I want you to leave today feeling a joyful attitude towards prayer, an adventurous attitude towards prayer, because you never know what you're stepping into. You're stepping into something that God could do something around the world because of your time spent in prayer. Personally, I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I came to faith when I was in high school, and about a year after I had had put my faith in Christ and started to follow Him, I went to this conference that was all focused on prayer with uh, Crew's High School Ministry. At the time, it was called Student Mentor. Now, it's called Crew High School. And this whole conference focused on prayer. I just remember one distinct thing that the speaker said. The speaker said, God does nothing except an answer to prayer. Meaning he was trying to make the point that everything that happens in the world is the result of someone praying. Now, I honestly don't think that that's totally true biblically. Like, I don't think you could prove that. But it motivated me. And more so, what he ultimately said was, that might not be especially true or 100% true, but it is God's preferred way of working in the world. And I really believe that to be true, that God's preferred way of working in the world is when he wants to do something, what he's first going to do is he's going to get his people praying for it. He's going to put something on someone's heart somewhere out there who's going to pray for it, and that way we get to partner with God and what he's doing in the world. And it's awesome. I want to make one more caveat before we jump in, is that I said it a couple times, and I want to kind of correct the misnomer. You may have heard, like, prayer works. Like, like we, know what, we know what I mean when I say that, or you know what you mean when you say that. But one of my good friends that taught me a lot about prayer, Steve Hawthorne at the church I was a part of before Midtown, he really drew out a real, real neat distinction between that. It's not prayer works. It's that God is at work, and he uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his work. So it's not like prayer is like some dance that we do, or if we say things just the right way or chant the right way, that prayer itself is what's effective. No, it's, it's that we have a God who's active in the world, Our God is at work, and one of the ways that he works is he uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his work. So let's talk a little bit about this mystery of prayer and partnership with God. There is a real mystery in in partnership with God, right? Like, you have to admit, like, it's, it's mysterious how God works in the world, but he always has. From the creating of Adam and Eve, he gave them responsibilities to care for the earth. So even before sin was in the world, he's delegating his authority and giving it to mankind. We've got this great book that we teach out every Sunday called the Bible, right? What is the Bible? It's the story of God's work throughout history from beginning to end. But what's it filled with? It's filled with people. It's filled with God using people after people after people because that's God's preferred way to work in the world is through people like you and me. But when it comes to prayer, the big question that we often ask is, where does, where does God stop and I start? Like when it comes to partnering with God, like where is this God and then where is it me? And, and that's always the question when we're kind of thinking about partnership with God, right? Like I asked you guys a, a few weeks ago, I said like, how many of you actually came to faith because of, of another, another person in your life? So almost everybody, right? I said there really are the stories where people like come to faith that, because they have a dream, like that happens in parts of the world. But I had a friend who came to faith after watching something on TV, right? So that happens too. But the vast majority of us, we come to faith because a person led us to faith, hopefully a parent, if not a good friend. And so what the question is, like, well, well, what happened? Like, was that God in that? Or when did it become you putting your faith in? And when did it become this person doing the work and God was behind it all? Like, those things are tricky, right? Where does God stop and where do we start when it comes to partnership? Take, like, uh, really great verses on salvation in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
It says, for, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're saved simply by grace, through faith. We believe that. Like there's nothing, no work that we can do, that we can do to earn our salvation. But what are we saved? Not, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved to do good works, right? And not only is God going to use us to do good works, it says these are things that He's planned out for us in advance. So we get saved and God creates us as His handiwork to use us in the world. And somewhere in there, God's leading us and God's moving us, and there's a place where we start, and God really never stops, but you have to ask that question, right? It's a mystery when it comes to our salvation. Or take like when we're actually doing ministry. Paul writes this when he's uh, writing to the Corinthians, talking about the way that he views how God, where God is in the work of his ministry. He says, by grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. So, I mean, God's grace has radically changed my life. But then he says, I worked harder than all of them. Contextually here, he's kind of comparing himself to others that were competing, so to, so to speak, with him. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So Paul, often when he's writing about his ministry, would talk about him laboring with all his effort, giving his full on, full on to everything that God called him to do. Yet at the same time, he would say, well, it really wasn't me, it was God in me. And so, like, when it comes to doing ministry, when we partner with God, like, where does God stop and where do we start? It's tricky. It's mysterious. Or take one more example is when it comes to our own spiritual growth, like our own uh, holiness and pursuit of God. In Philippians 2, it says, Therefore, my friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So the command there is to work out your salvation, to take steps of faith, to do the things that you need to do to grow in your faith. But it's God who's actually working within us to will and act according to his purpose. It's as we pursue spiritual growth and and, this, and desire to get closer to God and walk with Him. Like, where's God stop and where do we start? Like, it's, it's a mystery, this partnership that we have with God. So why do I tell you all those things here at the front? It's just, to, it's just to agree, first of all, that yes, there is a mystery. There is a mystery. But I think even more so to point us to the fact that this is the way that God works, that He loves to work through humans. And He wants to involve us in His work. And He's like a Father who invites us in and prayer is a really specific way that we can partner with him and what he's doing in the world. In this book on prayer, Yancey, uh, there's a great illustration at the end of one of the chapters that really talks about partnership. He tells the story of his pastor named Peter. He says, my pastor spent the day on hard labor installing some uh, stone steps in his backyard. The individual stones weighed between 100 and 200 pounds. It took all of Peter's strength and a few tools to maneuver them around and into place. His five-year-old daughter begged to help. He suggested that she just sing to encourage his work. Uh, she said no. <laughs> she wanted to help. So carefully, when she was not a danger to her, he let her place her hands on the rocks and push them as he moved them. Peter admitted later that Becky's uh, assi assistant actually complicated the task. It could have been done uh, a lot less time and a lot better without her, quote, help. At the end of the day, though, he had not only new steps but he had a daughter beaming with pride at the sense of accomplishes. Me and my dad made steps, she announced at dinner that night, and he would be the first to agree. It's really similar to how, what God's inviting us into when it comes to the mystery of prayer. 
that he's got work that he's wanting to do, but he allows us to come aside and be part of it with him by praying into the things that he wants to do in the world. And it's his joy and his delight to have us participate, and it's our joy and our delight to get to participate in prayer. So I want to look at a few examples that talk about how prayer is effectual. And we've got three in the life of Jesus. One's going to be an example that Jesus gave, so something that, uh, an example. The second's going to be a command that he gives. And then the third is going to be um, a promise that he gives. So an example, a command, and a promise. Let's look first at this example. A little background for this part of the story. This is the story where Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples, the Last Supper. He's just told them that some of them are going to, uh, that someone's going to betray him, and they all start arguing with one another. And then shortly after that, they actually start having an argument about who's the greatest among them. You got to love the disciples. Like, that's great. <laughs> We're right there in their boat. Who's going to be the greatest? And then Jesus pulls Peter aside. And if you remember the story, he tells Peter that you're going to deny me three times by the time the night's over. But this one story in Luke has this other, other part of it that none of the other gospels have. And I love it because it shows Jesus praying for his friend Peter. Luke 22, 31 and 32. Simon, his name was also Simon, but Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So here's Jesus, knowing what was going to happen, but in this gospel, we get this little part of the thing that we don't hear in the other stories where he says, you know what, Simon, I've been praying for you. I know what's going on behind the scenes. I see a spiritual battle that's taking place in your life. You know what? I've been praying for you. Look back at the, the book of Luke when we see Jesus sneaking off to pray all the time. What was he praying for? We don't know exactly, but we know here at least some of the time he was praying for his disciples and he knew what was happening in Peter's life enough that he would say, I know what's going on and I'm going to be praying that you would return to your faith and then you would lead, which of course we know happened, that he was restored, that Jesus' prayer for him was answered. This is really just called like intercessory prayer. It's like when you know something that's going on in someone's life, and then you decide that you're going to partner with God by praying for the need that the person has. Maybe it's something that God's doing in their life. Maybe it's something like in this case that you see the enemy's doing in their life, some sort of harm to their life. And Jesus invites us, like God the Father, and he was invited by the Father, to pray and intercede on behalf of our friends. It's amazing. And God does something when we pray. So whether you have like a friend with physical needs or mental needs, financial needs, relational or spiritual, when we step in and pray, it's affecting what's happening in that person's life. We see it by Jesus' example. Now, this is one good reason why we'd invite you guys to be part of a Midtown community, why we'd encourage you not just to be like in the church on the fringe, but to get connected with people, because one of the things that we need is people in our lives to be the things that prompt us to pray. Because if you're like me, my default setting is selfish. <laughs> so if I'm going to be learning from this example on how to pray for others and seeing God work in their life and participate in what God's doing in someone else's life by praying for them, one of the things I need is community around me because that gets my eyes off of myself and reminds me that other people have needs to pray for. I love that we have our prayer cards that we have on, on Sunday morning, and we pray for those. We believe it's an effective way to be with you and joining what God's doing in your life. I love that many of our MCs do prayer requests, and at the end of the MCs, the next day that they'll mail out the prayer request, email out the prayer request for those that weren't there, so we can continue to intercede and fight for each other according to the requests that have been made known. I was thinking this week, I, I actually find that I need like prompts to pray, 
And so I have like a little prayer list that I change every now and then, but it just helps me remember to pray for people and keep people on my mind. And so I've got a Monday list, Tuesday list, and all through the week of specific people that I aim to pray for. I don't do it 100%. And just this last week, I have also a group of people I call my people group, my friends who aren't yet following Jesus that I pray for. And there's a a girl that I met uh, while walking our dogs, um, and I just thought, I'm going to add her to my people group list. I don't know anything about her. I hope that I can get to know something about her. And so just for the last week, I've been praying for her several times, uh, not every day, but several times during the week. And then on Wednesday, she's walking by with her dog, and we say hi, and I'm sitting here actually working on this sermon on my porch, and I see her, and we say hi, and she says hi, and I say, hey, you want to bring the dog around back so we can we can let the dogs play. I've been praying that I get to have a spiritual conversation with her, and that day, that morning, we did because I'd been praying and interceding for her, and God opened the door and gave me an opportunity, and now I know more about where she's at spiritually so I can continue to intercede and pray into the work that God's already doing in someone's life. I already quoted from my friend Steve Hawthorne once before, the guy that said that prayer doesn't work. God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his work. He also said, always assume you're late to the party. Always assume you're late to the party. God's already at work in people's lives, so you're late. You're late, so you just need to pray and look for those opportunities and know that God's already working. God gives us this opportunity. Now, now think about this. If Jesus had to pray for Peter, how much more ought we to pray for each other and the people that God's put in our lives? When I was really younger, I was really struck by this one verse. There was a verse that um, Samuel when he's kind of addressing the people after they wanted to have a king and he's no longer going to lead them as a prophet. One of the things that he prayed or said when he was kind of giving his final address to the people of Israel, he said, far be it for me that I should sin by failing to pray for you. I thought, wow, like here's a guy that feels like there's some people in his life that it's actually sin not to pray for them. And I've always kind of wondered who that would be for me and who that would be for you, that there's got to be some people in your lives that literally if you neglect praying for them, you're likely not doing what God wants because he wants us to fight for each other, intercede, and our prayers are effectual in changing what's happening in someone's life. Second, we have a command, and here's the command. Matthew 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into the harvest field. So this time, Jesus isn't motivated by an individual and Peter. This time, Jesus is motivated by a crowd of people. He sees a whole crowd of people, all these cities and villages that he's been going to. And he's overwhelmed with compassion for them. He says, this isn't right. He sees something that's that's, uh, absent. And the absence is the workers. Like there's all these people with spiritual darkness and wandering. Like he says, sheep without a shepherd. Yet there's not the workers and it burdens his heart. And so he says to his disciples, you know what? There's a lot of people out there. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So go out there and do something, right? (laughs) He would say that too. But first he says, the first thing you need to do is you need to start praying for more workers. Because Jesus knew that prayer was linked to God's mission. The things that God wanted to do in the world, they begin in prayer. And he knew that he could be part of God's work by doing this. So I'd ask you, what things actually draw up compassion in you? You ever have something? Were you moved by, by what we just saw in the, uh, in, on Orphan Sunday? Like that should break our hearts. And when your heart gets broken and you have compassion for something, you should just assume that that's God speaking to you. That's God speaking to you and you now can pray into that situation. And God will work because of your prayers. 
when you see brokenness, when you see oppression, when you see darkness in the world, spiritual blindness, assume that it's a burden that God's put on your heart and you can participate in what he wants to do in that situation by first beginning to pray. Prayer is part of the work that God wants to do. Kind of a trick question here, but um, what do you think of when you think about the Great Commission? So the Great Commission was Jesus' last words to his disciples. What's the one word you think of when you first think about it? You usually think go, right? Because in Matthew it says go, make disciples. But really, if you go back to read the one in Acts, it doesn't say go. In fact, Jesus says do not go from here, but wait. Wait until the Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And so the first command in the Great Commission is not go, it's wait, it's pray, because God knows that prayer and mission are completely intertwined, and He wants us to participate in His work first by praying and then also by going. One of my favorite uh, stories of my life, honestly, where I saw God move in answer to prayers, we had like a little weekly prayer group. One of the things I've practiced most of my life was getting believers in a neighborhood together to pray and on a weekly basis just pray for our neighbors. In this case, it was 1997. So I was, I was still single, um, but I had another friend that lived down the street and he was a believer. He was part of a different church, but we started meeting together once a week just to pray for our neighbors. And then we would actually go door to door to our neighbors and we'd knock on the door and say, hey, my name's Justin. This might sound kind of strange, but I have a friend down the street that we're both Christians and we we pray once a week for the neighborhood. I was just wondering if you have any prayer requests. Not trying to get you to do anything, go anywhere, believe what we believe. Just want to know if you have any prayer requests. And we'd always get really great prayer requests, and we'd pray for these people, and it opened up opportunities because we were praying for them. But one particular case, my friend Brandon, who I didn't know at the time, I knock on his door, I'd talked to his female roommate many times, but this time he answered the door, and I'd say, hey, I've not met you yet, I did my little spiel. How can we pray for you? He says, you can pray that I can find God. I said, oh, okay, um, yeah, you want to talk about that now? And he said, no, I'm studying for a, a biology test, but I'll talk, let's talk next week. I get together with him that next week, and I come to find out that he had just broken off an engagement. Well, first of all, I found out that his brother had become a believer just months beforehand and had been praying for him and sharing the gospel with him. Then he gets in this relationship that he was so hopeful for, and when it broke, it broke his heart. And so that night, he went for a walk around the Mansfield, uh, around the dam on 620, and then came back to his room and said, God, if you are real, you have to reveal yourself to me. And then, I'm at the door. Amazing, right? What God can do in the answer to the prayers of this brother, what God can do in the answer to the prayers that we prayed, just in our little group with me and my buddy, praying for our neighborhood. Occasionally, God will do something that amazing where you get the tangible sense that you partnered with God to do something and answer to prayer. Or I think about this week, my buddy um, that serves in Morocco, Scott, it's so fun being part of like missionaries' prayer teams. He, he writes this this week. He's, he kind of writes funny, so laugh with me. Hey there, folks. <laughs> Sorry for the second email, but God seems to be moving, so let's pray into it together. I have a pet project that I work on occasionally, a Facebook page named Ask a Christian in Arabic. He tells me every, uh, it tells me anyone that has ever... Uh, Sorry, it tells anyone that has a question about Christianity to message me on WhatsApp um, on a burner phone that's not connected to my name. He has to be very secretive in this Muslim country. The page has gotten a lot more attention the past 24 hours without me really doing anything. Because of that, I boosted the post that says, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? How do we love God if we can't see him? A few hours ago, as of now, I got a message from, the main, uh, from a man in Algeria who wants to become a Christian. Let's pray for him. Let's pray that uh, others who might see this ad, uh, so far around 4,000 people have seen it. 
and it will run over the next five days in Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia. Then I get another email later this week where he reports on it. He says, the ad campaign was hugely encouraging. 35,000 people saw the ad, which asked, how can I have a relationship with God? Contact us to hear the answer of Jesus. 5,000 people reacted to it. 450 people commented on it. And we got six personal messages from people who wanted to talk more about the Lord. Of those, two people wanted to accept Christ. And at the end of one of the talks, one of the guys said to me, I need to go now. I want to try to convince my friends. Ha ha, praise God. You know how fun it is like to pray for a missionary and get their reports and literally know that what I'm praying in my little bedroom or on my porch is happening in Morocco? That's what God's inviting us into. He's inviting us into that kind of partnership in prayer. And the prayers are effectual. God is at work and He uses the prayers of His people to accomplish His work. Just, a, just a, about six months ago, uh, me and some other pastors got to go to, into a prison. I'd never been into a, a prison to do any sort of ministry before. Um, but didn't know what to do or what to say, and also I didn't know that they were going to ask me to speak. <laughs> so they said, hey, Justin, it's your turn. I'm like, oh, no. Um, and so really, all, the, all that I shared was I said, hey, you guys, these guys were actually in for life. And I said, you guys may think that you can't have an influence in the rest of the world, that you're locked and you're confined, and this is the extent of your ministry. I said, it's not true. And I pointed him to passages where Paul was in prison and he was praying for the church in Philippi. I, I pointed him to passages where Paul was actually um, writing to people he'd never met before and telling them that he was praying for them. And I said, no, no, no. You may be locked up in here, but your prayers are never locked up. Like, you can pray things. You can pray for your families. You can pray for those whom you've hurt in the situation that got you in, that you're in. And God will hear those prayers and he'll move in response to them. I believe that's true. And so here's the thing. Jesus commanded it. So if Jesus commanded us to pray, why would we think that it's not effectual? It's effectual. God uses our prayers. And finally, a promise. John 15. In this last scripture, uh, we'll see a promise of effectual prayer, but it's a specific kind of prayer that's really effectual. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you. So here again, we see another example of the mystery of God, and which is our part and his part. He's the vine, we're the branches. We're just supposed to remain, but let's focus specifically on verse 7, where we see an incredible promise that, that we can ask whatever we wish, and it'll be given to us if we meet two conditions, that we're remaining in him, and his word is what's remaining in us. What Jesus is promising here is that if we pursue intimacy with God primarily through knowing and cherishing his word, that our desires and our burdens we become more and more like, like his desires and his burdens. And as they do, our prayers will always be in line with his will, even if it means praying like Jesus did when he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. This is the promise if we saturate ourselves. Jesus is giving us a promise if we saturate ourselves, remaining faithful and walking with him, filling ourselves with God's word, that what really happens is our desires start to change. It becomes where we're not so selfish and we think about other people more often. And when we think about them, we know that we can pray and be a part of what God's doing in their life. We think about the world in a different way because we see what all the brokenness in the world because our burdens are like God's burdens all because we've been remaining in him and staying faithful to his word and letting his word be what directs and changes our heart. So Jesus gives us a partnership, a, a, a promise that we can partner with what he wants to do in the world. 
but it's shaped with these conditions that if we first have the Word dwelling in us, that our desires will be like His, our prayers will be even more effectual because we're praying into what we know God wants. I think about the times that I've come to prayer, maybe you have too, and you've got a list of things that you'd like to pray for. They're usually maybe self-focused, but if you take that little bit of time just to spend some time in worship, maybe in thanksgiving, maybe pray for some things that are out there in the world apart from yourself, and what often happens is that list of things that you thought you were going to pray for kind of shrinks because you spent time in worship and focusing on God and praying for His work in the world. I do think there's a reason why when Jesus did teach His disciples how to pray, He taught them first to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Get your eyes on God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for God's work in the world. And then he does invite us to say, give us this day our daily bread. But what I find is when I saturate myself in, my, in God's word and I start praying into his work in the world and worshiping him, I don't really have as many needs as I used to have because my heart is praying for all the things that God's doing confidently knowing that he's using my prayers as a part of his work in the world. I don't think I have quite the time that I wanted to, uh, to make one recommendation, but I was gonna, I'll just make it real briefly. Is I think one of the ways that we can be most confident that we pray into God's work in the world is that we actually pray Scripture itself. And so when we read Scripture, this makes us have the Word of God remaining in us and dwelling in us, but one of the best things that we can do is actually pray Scripture. So when you read your Bible, don't think about it like I read my Bible and then I set it aside and now I'm going to spend some time praying, but actually what you're reading Think about how you can pray from those verses for other people, for yourself, for our church, which is what we're doing during these 33 days of prayer. Every day there's a scripture, and all we're asking you to do is think, now that I read this scripture, what's one way that I can pray for myself in accordance with what's written here? And what's one way I can pray for our church in accordance to what is written here? Praying God's word is the most effective way that we can both remain in the word and have the word dwelling in us, as well as pray into what we're sure is God's will. We're going to come to a time of communion, and one of the things I think that can motivate us today as we take is to remember the access that we have to pray and how it was purchased for us. How is it that we can confidently come to God in the first place? Like, how is it that God invites us to partner with Him in this way? He does it because of what Christ has done. I think we have one more scripture here in Romans 5. It says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access into faith, and that by faith into the grace in which we now stand. What gives us justification and even the ability to come before the throne of God is the grace of God and the access that Jesus has provided for us. He's the one that's calling us to pray and inviting us to pray because he's already paved a way that we can come to God boldly with our request to begin with. So as we take communion, I want you to remember what God has done to make access to God, prayer to God, even possible. We have communion in the front and in the back. I would encourage you to, if you have put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you put your faith in Him, anyone's welcome to take communion. If you haven't done that yet, I would encourage you to wait and make that be something that you do when you do decide to put your faith in Him. Also during communion, especially during this prayer series, we're doing something a, a little different. Uh, we hope uh, you guys would take advantage of. We're going to have Jake and Akiko are going to be back in the back. And so during these last songs, if you have any particular prayer needs that are on your heart, they would love to intercede and pray for you and participate in the work that God is already doing in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you invite us into this uh, mystery of prayer and that our prayers are effectual. 
that they really do work in the world because you're at work in the world. I just ask God during these 33 days and really even beyond that you would help us to believe that our prayers are active. And then with joy to, to pray more often because we're excited to participate with you with what you're doing in our friends' lives and what you're doing in the world. Grow us as a body in prayer, even during these 33 days. In Jesus' name, Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.